Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencaster. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencaster Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sencaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to sen.ai forward slash dealmakers1, and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a pretty exciting founder, you know, a founder out of Europe uh, that has done it a few times. And we're going to be talking about building and scaling and also building a really amazing team that is very close. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Paul Becker. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alejandro. Great to be here. So originally born in Hamburg. So uh, give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there? Overall, great uh, and rainy. Um, I, I think Hamburg is equally famous for being a rainy city like like London, for example. Um, so I was, was born in Hamburg, spent half of my childhood and youth in Hamburg and the other half uh, in a smaller city very nearby. Um, after school, I went to university in Hamburg as well. Uh, did a combined program in, in business and computer science. Um, and it was uh, during that time, actually, that I, that I first got in touch uh, with the idea of, of starting um, uh, a new company. Um, and uh, the story behind that is actually uh, quite funny. I, I often uh, like, to, like to refer to it because of the study program uh, that I was uh, included, um, uh, that I was doing, that included um, working at a company, typically a large enterprise, um, and uh, as a trainee, basically, throughout the whole period of study. And the idea is quite simple. Um, it is that you, as a young student, uh, get to know work life as, as early as possible. And upon graduation, that you can get a job uh, at the exact same company. And while it indeed delivered a good insight into work life for me, um, the result uh, was that I did not want to work at a large enterprise. Uh, so... Uh, it kind of uh, back kicked and uh, led me to the idea of uh, of starting a new company um, just as an alternative. Um, and the second thing that was uh, quite nice during that time obviously, is that I got to know Arne and Jonas, um, with whom I then actually also started my first real company, Liquid, and who are still my co-founders and among my closest friends today. And how did you get into the whole world of computer science? I, I would say... Uh, actually because of uh, a teacher that I really liked at school. Um, so I think it was in ninth grade or so um, that for the first time we, we had some um, computer science lessons at school and I just really enjoyed it. Um, it was uh, actually one of the things I liked most um, at school. So it was quite natural when, um, when A-levels were coming close uh, 
that when thinking about what you want to study, uh, that you uh, then look at what you liked at school. Um, and that's how I came to, to, to study computer science. But it's important. I, I didn't study just computer science at all, but it was kind of a combined degree, business management and computer science. And uh, yeah, I, I really liked the, the mix back then. But, but it's interesting. If you, if you today talk about um, uh, that degree, then everybody's like, ah, that was so smart that you studied computer science back then. Um, I think in, in 2010, 2011, when I decided for studying computer science, at least in Germany, everybody was looking at you like, what the heck? Why are you studying computer science? Uh, go for engineering or something like that, but, but not uh, computer science. Uh, but yeah, in hindsight, it was the right decision for sure. And tell us about getting started with Liquid. So obviously you meet your co-founders and um, you know, then you decide to go at it. I know that it was quite a process, you know, and also now the way that you think about ideas and, and companies, you first start with an idea, then you iterate it a few times, and then you perhaps building, build it into something more tangible. So how was that process for you guys with getting to Liquid? Yeah, so um, in the very early days, and I think that was like uh, one or two years um, at, at university when, when, the, when the very... Um, uh, beginnings of of liquid actually um emerged um was Anna and Jonas who were more into finance uh, than I was um back then um and they uh back then convinced me to to work uh, on a on an idea um uh, which we which we then called Alhub um which was a financing solution for young professionals uh, where the idea basically was to to allow them to micro invest into an ETF portfolio. So maybe in the US, you know, Acorns today. Um, yeah. It was a pretty similar idea back then. When, when uh, graduation was nearing, um, we started to look for investors um, to, to fund us. Um, and uh, in one of those conversations, um, we, we actually met uh, one guy, uh, his name is Christian, um, who, who kind of questioned the target audience we were looking at. So he, he basically said, like, looking at young professionals, the lifetime values are not that attractive. Um, do you really think that this makes sense in the long run? Why don't you think about uh, a slightly different uh, target uh, group, um, the so-called mass affluence, which uh, are basically private investors who have liquid assets uh, somewhere between 100,000 and 1 million euro, depending on what definition you look at. Um, and we thought about that for a while. And, and then we thought, why, why not? Um, and uh, then we joined forces uh, with, with Christian. And uh, this is actually how, how Liquid then got started. So uh, I would say the, the very core of the idea, um, offering an automated investment solution um, for private investors, um, stayed the same, but we did a small, but in hindsight, quite significant pivot uh, when looking at the target audience. Got it. And in terms of the uh, business model, what ended up being the business model? How were you guys making money with Liquid? It's quite simple. It's basically like every other wealth or asset manager is making money. Um, so uh, clients um, invest a certain proportion of their wealth into one of the portfolios um, of Liquid, um, and then they pay a flat fee um, on the assets under management and depending on how much uh, they invest and what the exact investment strategy looked like um, the the fee is between 0.2 to 0.9% per anno and uh, yeah that's that's the key uh, revenue stream 
And how did you guys go about capitalizing the business? Yeah, we, we raised uh, a seed round um, quite early on uh, from, from Project A Ventures, um, who, who's uh, one of the uh, very well-known German um, VCs. And for us, that was also one of the main reasons why back then uh, the the team we assembled for Liquid uh, was was the right decision because for for Arne, Jonas, um, and uh, myself, it was uh, great to just build the company operationally. So uh, Jonas took part of the product, Arne of engineering, and I did mostly marketing and business intelligence. Um, and Christian, uh, who was more experienced than we were and had just a larger network. Um, was basically covering all investor relations um, and also um, made that very first uh, financing round happen. And yeah, back then, uh, I think we, we raised 1.5 million euro, which was really a big amount for a seed investment um, back in the days. Uh, compared to today's numbers, it looks quite tiny, uh, but we were, we were pretty proud. And uh, yeah, it was exactly what we needed back then. And how much has the company raised to date? In total, I think now 150 million. That's incredible. That's incredible. And probably now it has how many employees? Um, I think 120, 130. That's, that's around the number. Yeah. So here you are, you know, you built a rocket ship, you know, making a killing. And then all of a sudden, you decide that it's time to turn page and to start something. I mean, walk us through the thought process behind, you know, that decision. Yeah, it's, that's a very good question. And trust me, um, we, many people ask us back then and uh, we, we still get asked today. Um, and uh, some do understand uh, the reasoning, others not so much. Um, uh, I can just, uh, as a first comment, say it, it was the right decision back then um, when I just look at everything what happened. Uh, thereafter. Um, but put simply, um, when we started Liquid, uh, the main goal for us was to prove to ourselves that we actually can can build a company from scratch and that we can show that the model works. Um, and especially the latter, I mean, back in 2014, 2015, um, when we talked about the model, convincing people to invest in excess of 100,000 euros online without ever meeting anyone Nobody believed that this could work in Germany because uh, it's a big trust game in the end. And uh, that, was, that was a great incentive for us uh, that when talking about the idea, we, we were obviously very bullish about that, but nobody believed it. And so it was a clear goal for us to just make that happen. Um, and when you then fast forward a couple of years and you've reached that point where you manage, uh, uh, I think, in 2017, we managed a little more than two or 300 million. Now it is uh, 2.5 billion. But at, at 200 million, it was already clear, just looking at the customers, that this is working and that there were a couple of customers who just came out of nowhere and that the whole model is just a complete different uh, thing than, than private banking, for example. Um, and when you, when you then just reflect a little bit about that um, and you realize um, for for that first entrepreneurial journey, you just reached everything that you wanted to achieve. And on the other side, you have the feeling that the company is also, let's say, in quite stable water right now and sufficiently mature to to survive without us. And you have the chance to to get uh, to get off. 
it, it just felt the, like the right thing to do. And I, as I said, I know that to some this might uh, sound very counterintuitive um, because, I mean, there is so much more that uh, you, you could have done on your own and there's so much more that, that happened at Liquid. I mean, it, it grew 10x at least since uh, we left. But uh, again, it felt like the right thing uh, to do. Um, and I would, uh, to me, that's that's also a thing that I will uh, definitely keep in mind, just being being very sure about what you want to achieve with a company and uh, being transparent about that. And when you when you feel um, that you that you did it and you you can't convince yourself, and that's also part of the true story. I mean, the alternative would have been to commit yourself for another three, four, five, six years, and that just didn't feel right back then. And then I can just recommend to everyone who's in a similar situation, if you have the chance, then do what feels right. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So. I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So doing what felt right. So obviously you uh, decide that it's time to um, to 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 look into other, you know, uh, pastures, you know, like to look at new new opportunities or new horizons so what did you do then so first of all when we when we faded out of liquid um operationally there there was still like a period where we were half involved operationally um so it's it's just impossible to to get out of, out of a company that you started from one day to another and uh, then we also decided that we don't want to start our next venture capital-backed rocket ship uh, uh, directly uh, on on the next day, but rather wanted to to take uh, some some time off. And that basically meant for us to to do some consulting projects, to do some angel investments, and just to look into some other industries. And we did that uh, for some months. Obviously. Uh, we 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 stayed in the financial industry and uh, mostly worked together with family offices, asset managers, and wealth managers, and so on. Um, but also um, with some PE and venture capital funds, and that was then also what in 2020 
led us to the to the origins um, of Recap, which is uh, the company which I'm currently working on. So the the starting point were actually some commercial due diligence projects that we were hired on as consultants. Um, and obviously, we've seen it from a founder's perspective, but not from a fund perspective so far. Um, and we were just interested in the process and thought uh, there's quite some unused potential uh, uh, just looking at how manual those projects uh, are being um, uh, executed. And then we started thinking about whether there's room uh, to build software that supports or partially automates uh, due diligence projects. And while digging deeper into that, um, uh, we, we quickly came to that point um, okay, if certain company data is available in systems and you can um, exploit it via APIs, then you can uh, build software that is also running analysis on uh, that data in an automated fashion. And then uh, the obvious next question is, do you actually want to build uh, a commercial due diligence software uh, or not? What else can you do with it? And it's it's pretty pretty similar to what I just said uh, when how we got started with Liquid. Um, so for for recap, the starting point were some commercial due diligence projects, and then uh, we iterated uh, around it for some time, uh, did market research, did conversations, um, and then uh, we ended up with building um, an alternative financing solution for tech companies with a subscription model and there's a perfect reasoning behind it because um, once you realize uh, how um, uh, a software that can assess company risk and opportunities uh, can actually work you quickly come to the point that one of the biggest requirements is uh, the companies having a proper data infrastructure in place and where is there any better place to to find companies like that uh, than looking in the tech ecosystem, probably not. Um, and secondly, when you start thinking um, about uh, financing um, requirements um, and uh, instruments uh, in general, you quickly come to the point that a short-term um, lending product is quite manageable from a risk perspective. And then you come to the point that um, many SaaS companies especially offer big discounts um, to their cu uh, customers for getting an annual upfront payment, which is basically lending money from your customers at bad terms. And on the other side, you have fixed income investors who don't really know where to deploy uh, the liquidity. So uh, prime arbitrage uh, uh, in, in the end, and then kind of the whole puzzle um, fitted together. But it was definitely not like that this idea was clear in the very beginning, or we woke up one morning and thought, let's build a financing solution for tech companies. It was more like, you you started thinking about it and then you fast forward a couple of months and suddenly um, a new business idea um, uh, arrived out of nowhere and you find yourself working on it. And how do you guys monetize here? Um, it's it's pretty pretty simple. Um, so in the end, um, we charge a transaction fee um, to uh, to the companies um, who who ask for liquidity. Um, uh, so we monetize uh, the companies. Um, and on the other hand, um, we charge uh, the investors also a fee for managing the assets. So to explain the business model a little bit, um, we we conceptualize the whole business as a marketplace. So technically, we are really just a facilitator between institutional investors and tech companies. But one of the things that we learned early on while doing um, market research is that most of the institutional investors are actually not interested 
um, in selecting single companies or single revenue streams um, of companies, but rather they want to invest in a portfolio. Um, and this is what we what we came up with. So technically, um, the whole transaction um, is managed over a securitization vehicle. Um, and this is also where we monetize investors. So they contribute a certain amount of liquidity. We get, um, again, a kind of management fee on it. And then we have the transaction fee um, from, from the companies on the other side. Got it. And, uh, and in terms of the financing, I mean, financing yourselves, I mean, on the, on the last company on Liquid, you raised, you know, a fair amount of money. And I'm sure that that gave you the opportunity of really understanding too, for the first time at that point, the dynamics with investors and what investors bring to the table. And, and with that experience and those lessons learned, how did you think about engineering it now with this company, you know, and, and, and how you brought that group together to finance this business? It's definitely a totally different thing. Um, comparing, you know, when, when we started Liquid, we thought like all VCs come straight out of heaven. And we thought uh, it's just great to work with any uh, of those. Uh, if, if somebody would give us money to start a company, that's just awesome. That was uh, kind of where we were back then. Yeah. Um, and uh, when we started Recap, we obviously learned a lot and, uh, for example, just understood um, that a VC is also just a firm trying to make a living, you know, um, and they also have a clear business model behind it. And um, in, in our case, it was particularly helpful that we always worked in fintech and specifically in asset management because it's so close. Uh, and then you really understand um, how, how a VC fund actually works and how fund managers are incentivized and so on and the the learning curve uh, it, it was very very steep and it's incredibly valuable for us to just understand the mechanics um, but looking at recap uh, there were just a couple of things that were very clear to us in the beginning so first of all um, we we had a quite lengthy discussion and by that I mean like two to four weeks about whether we actually want to play this as a venture capital case or not um, and I think it's very important as a founder to be clear about that. I know way too many people who just find themselves in a fundraising process, but never really thought about whether it makes sense to to raise venture capital or not. And for us, um, the decision then was just quite clear because we realized it's a huge market. We need to be quick and there's no other way um, to raise sufficient funds for that if not going down the VC route. Uh, so that was one very important thing. Um, and the second important thing for us um, were firstly, um, among the first investors, we wanted to have um, a B2B lending expert, because even though we are in fintech for quite some time, um, lending is a new field. And we wanted to, to get someone on board who knows that better than we do. Um, and secondly, we didn't want to invest too much time uh, in, in raising um uh, our first financing round, which in nowadays uh, is called a pre-seed. Uh, I mean, back in 2014, there was no pre-seed for me. Um, uh, the pre-seed is kind of an, an angel round maybe, um, but now it's labeled pre-seed. Um, and yeah, this is how we uh, then ended up um, with Entree Capital, um, who has great experience um, in, in B2B lending. And uh, that was definitely the right way to go, especially because they were able to move quite quickly. So that in total, I think, we spent maybe two to three weeks in total um, 
fundraising, including the preparation. And in total, we we just uh, had a couple of days where we actually talked to investors and that was it. And that's important, I think, because it allowed us to move back um, into uh, execution mode very quickly, um, which is just important, especially um, in the early days. So that was the important thing about the first financing round. And then end of last year, um, we raised uh, a seed round. Um, and for that uh, seed round, again, for us, it was important um, to to uh, to have um, quite an international footprint on our cap table um, again. So um, we we thought about um, investors from from other countries, not only um, from Germany, um, and uh, we wanted to again um, get people on board uh, who really understand the mechanics um, and the reasoning behind our models. So. Yeah, to to put it simple, um, when when talking to someone and you really need to convince them about why your model makes sense or not, then that's not the right candidate for us. Uh, that was how we how we thought about that. We rather wanted to to um, to talk to people who understand everything um, about the model and know why it is interesting, um, and rather share um, a same perspective on the challenges, like for example, speed, regulatory environment, when you want to roll it out um, uh, throughout Europe and so on. Um, and uh, it wasn't that important for us anymore to, to get investors who know the lending space that well or who are particularly strong in fintech. It was more about um, they should be opinionated about our model in a in a positive sense, and that's um, how we then um, ended up uh, with with Felix and Project A. And obviously, I mean, Project A was the first investor at Liquid, so it was a great opportunity for us to get them on board um, again um, because we know uh, they are they are great guys, um, and it makes uh, uh, a ton of sense to work with them. So, how much capital have you guys raised today? Um, it's a little bit more complicated uh, for recap because um, there's also debt involved in, yep. in our in our model. Um, in total, it's around 120 million, um, but the vast majority of it um, is just debt fueling um, the platform, um, and a smaller proportion uh, of it um, is equity. Now, why should an entrepreneur think about you guys instead of going the traditional venture route? There are many, many reasons, but one of the um, one of the anecdotes or stories I typically like to explain um, is just look at larger companies. Um, you you will rarely find a large enterprise that is using just equity to finance uh, the whole business, um, but rather has a more diversified uh, capital structure, um, and in theory is just using um, the right financing tool for the right investment. If you know what I mean. Um, and that that makes a lot of sense. If if there's, for example, an investment uh, with a very short and uh, high return on investment, um, it just doesn't make sense uh, to use uh, equity to pay for it. Um, and on the other um, side, if if you have a very risky investment, like developing a new product um, uh, or hiring a completely um, new team, then it makes sense to to go for equity. Um, and having said that, it just becomes clear why we believe that um, also tech companies and also younger companies should have access to alternative financing um, beside, uh, besides venture capital. And to be clear, um, we, we never set out to be the new venture capital, and we are definitely not against venture capital. I mean, we raised it our own, and uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. 
but I also don't think it is the solution um, for for everything. Um, yeah. And in another way of of explaining it, um, it, it's it's a quote from uh, from a from a venture capitalist um, I know uh, who said um, it just doesn't make sense um, to pay for initiatives with uh, capped value add um, with uh, instruments with uncapped cost if you know uh, what I mean. And that's yeah. a very simple way of thinking about it. And that just makes it clear why um, debt or non-dilutive capital, how it's uh, currently referred to, um, makes a lot of sense. And of Understood. course, I mean, it's just so much easier. Um, going through our onboarding takes you a couple of minutes and you can expect to receive feedback on it quite quickly. So also compared to like uh, venture debt or a traditional credit facility, it's just way less effort involved. Got it. Now, imagine you go to sleep tonight, Paul, and you wake up in a world five years later where the vision of Recap is fully realized. What does that world look like? So, um, in in my view, um, I'm I'm pretty sure that many of the, at least in, in the debt context, um, many of these very manual um, processes uh, of, of raising uh, funds will be gone and i think like with many other um, corporate processes that you see um, it will be more automated and i think for many companies there will be more transparency um, about their um, financials so uh, just to to give you an example um, when we currently talk to companies especially in germany uh, the the financial literacy among many of those uh, teams is still comparatively low. Um, and uh, we think that in the next uh, couple of years and in, in five years for sure, uh, there will be no more knowledge um, spread out uh, across um, those different teams. And I think uh, that those entrepreneurs will more wisely think about what types of financing they, they will use for, for what use case. And I think that uh, we, as Recap, can play an important role in making, um, in making that happen. Love it. Now, obviously, two, two different chapters now that you've had as an entrepreneur. Now, first with Liquid, now with Recap, you know, full of lessons, full of experiences full of ups, full of downs. And I'm sure that uh, in between, you know, like there's been like a lot of, um, you know, growth, you know, for you uh, personally, professionally. Now, imagine if I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time to that, you know, point where, you know, that younger Paul is, you know, has met, you know, this 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 group of cool guys and, and is thinking about um, starting something. Imagine if you were able to sit down with that younger Paul and give that younger Paul one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a very good question, and it's hard to, to boil it down to one single piece of advice. Um, but I, I would actually say, don't take it too serious and uh, try, try to be uh, connected to yourself um, and uh, also think about uh, something else other than work. At least for me, that was one of the biggest journey that I, that I did uh, or that I, that I may be still on. Um, uh, it's just understanding when, when you're really into a company, when you really uh, like to work a lot and you're dedicated to it, you still need to understand that there is a certain 
um, limit and it sometimes just doesn't make sense to push on, push on, push on and take things too personally. Um, that that doesn't help you in any in any case. And I know um, that uh, a couple of years ago, I was more, I think my workload was maybe lower, but I was stressed to a larger extent than I am right now. And uh, I can I can only explain it to myself uh, that way that I kind of matured and kind of learned how to distance my distance myself every now and then um, from all the pressure. And yeah, that would be probably my my biggest piece of advice. However, I must say, I'm not sure if you can explain it to someone and just um, uh, don't take things too personally. Don't take it too seriously. It's it's a tough thing. If uh, probably back then, if somebody would have told me that and maybe somebody even did i don't remember not sure if if that would have changed anything uh that i did but again for me that's that's one of the most important learnings throughout that time i love it don't take things too personally and don't take them too seriously i love that paul well thank you so much that was super super profound now for the people that are listening what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi they can just uh, write me an email. It's paul uh, at recap.com. Uh, just drop me an email. Amazing. Well, hey, Paul, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Thank you so much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.